0: All right, this episode of Tuna on Toast on the road in Vegas at Blue Wire Studios is all happening thanks to Velvet Hammer Music and Management Group. They manage our friends in AFI and Corn and Deftones and System of a Down and Avenge Sevenfold, and they love Tuna on Toast, and they have for a long time. To them, it doesn't matter who the guest is. They just said, Stryker, continue with these episodes. We love the art. We chase greatness, so keep putting them out. And that's what I'm doing. Thank you, Velvet Hammer. Now let's get to another episode. Your name is Striker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Stryker here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on
1: toast. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tune On Toast. It is Ted Stryker. Thanks for checking out the show. Doug Robb, our friend Huba Doug from Hubastank Stank, is going to join us in just a second. So we recorded and filmed this episode in Las Vegas at Blue Wire Studios, the Wynn Hotel, and we did it the weekend of the Sick New World Festival, and Huba Stank played that festival. A few things just to refresh your memory in case... You forgot or didn't know when it comes to Hoobastank. They formed the band in Agora Hills. They've sold more than 10 million albums. Their debut album was back in 2001. Songs like Crawling in the Dark. oh, I love that song. Running Away, Remember Me. I played those songs on the radio. Got to know the guys all those years ago. I love the guys then, still love them now, and love those songs on the debut album. Their second album which we're celebrating 20 years of, we're celebrating, is an album called The Reason. And everybody knows that one song from The Reason called Out of Control. That is the best song on the album. Another incredible tune from the album The Reason is Disappear, that one rules as well. And of course, We've got the title track called The Reason. It's about to hit a billion views on YouTube. And what is so interesting to hear from Doug Robb, and I'm not gonna give too much away, is how the song, The Reason, changed the public's perception on who Hoobastank is and was, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Friendly reminder, you can watch all Tuna on Toast episodes on my YouTube channel, which is Tuna on Toast with Stryker. Thanks for the support, thanks for spreading the word. It's just an independent podcast, having all the musicians, the bands, the artists that I really like, whether they've been around 30 years or they're brand new, Tuna on Toast with Striker everywhere. And please, write a one sentence to two sentence authentic review. It helps with the algorithm, yada, yada, yada. Let's get to the episode. Please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio in Las Vegas at Blue Wire Studio, here's our friend, Doug Robb.
1: Let's chat. Can we please have a chat? What a studio you have here. Please. Really stepping it up.
0: Yeah, I really stepped it up from my guest bedroom at home for two months <laughs> to bringing it to Blue Wire Studios with I said, can you guys give me a very understated background? And this is what we went with. How do you like this background, Doug?
1: I figured they said, hey, we have an LED board, like a wall behind us. Send us something, you know, and we'll put it up. Is that is that what happened?
0: Yes. And it's So eight. you made this. I, I just caught you in a lie. You it. made eight. it. You they made, made it because they're the smart ones. Yeah, whatever. And I love it, actually. <laughs> it is. It's it's pretty intense. So it is Sick New World Fest today. And you're here with me. Do you have nerves still going into a show, something like
1: this? Yes. Sucks to say, but it is. It is what it is. I shouldn't because our set is pretty short. <laughs> it's like half an hour. Um, we're not playing in the hot sun and, uh, and we'll be surrounded with, with so many friends and, and family. It, it It's going to be awesome. But, um, I'm starting to realize that wh- there's a certain amount of expectation I put on myself. So when I, when I believe there's an important show or a big show or something that's going to be fun, I start to get nervous about it. So it, and it may, it, it, it's all up to my own perception, right? It's right. not, that's it doesn't actually have to be a big show, but if I believe it is, then I'll just get a little bit more wired up, but, but everything
0: good. you're saying that's what I think drives people. If you didn't have that, maybe the effort wouldn't be put in. Maybe you wouldn't be so focused. But if you didn't have the focus, you wouldn't have all the success.
1: Sure, right. <laughs> right? Whatever you say, man. Or is, I mean, I would think so. That I still take the job seriously to some extent. You yeah, know, we've always taken the 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 music and the 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 performance aspect, uh, aspect pretty seriously. We just never take ourselves self seriously.
0: Uh, the first album that I remember, the full length you did was 2001, but here we are in 2023 and it's just about the 20 year anniversary of the album, The
1: Reason. Correct.
0: <sighs> right. And I just, I went out, I wanted to go on YouTube just before we started. Is the actual title track at a billion yet? It's like 970 it's million. Close. It's about
1: to cross over. It's close. I'm not sure what that means. That's like a, if we get a cool like man. a set of steak knives or something, but, <laughs> but it's a lot, it, it's a lot. Yeah. That thing's been running on loop at my house forever to get there.
0: <laughs> hey, what do you remember going in to make that particular album coming off the 2001 self-titled Crawling in the Dark right. was a huge song. You that, had a couple other songs that everybody knew.
1: Yeah. It was, um, everybody talks about like the sophomore slump, you know, like sure you had a, you know, the first album went platinum. We had uh, toured extensively on it and felt like we were building a, uh solid foundation for a career, you know? And, um, I don't know. I, th- I think we just went in and did, did what we do. I know that's very cliche. Um, I don't think we overthought anything just kind of, um, it was probably a really, uh, creative, hectic time in our lives. And, you know, we did all the songs, um, no different than we would have, uh, any song then or since. And, you know, the, the song was just like catching lightning in a bottle, really. It was It uh,
0: But The Reason wasn't the first single. And I heard The Reason, of <clears> course, <throat> course, but I'm like, oh, that's a wonderful song. But Out of Control was on there. Right. And I'm like, I love this song. But then after I heard the song The Reason many times, I'm like, well, this is a perfectly constructed song for everybody's ears out in the world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um strangely enough, yeah, that you are kind of parroting what we thought as a band, like mm. after we finished the record, you sit around with a and r and management and you go what what do you think's going to be single one, two if you know if you're lucky, you get to three and blah 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 and I don't remember anybody picking the Reason song as a single at all. We were all proud of it, like, oh, this is a great song, we were proud of it, all the songs in the record, but we'd kind of mapped out what we wanted to do and, and up to that point in our careers this is this is people often ask like, well, what happened with that song? Like, was it, was it good? Was it bad? How do you look at it? And up to that point, the perception of the band from the band's perspective matched, to the, matched the overall. Like we, we this is who we saw ourselves as, and this is how the audience saw us too. And it was a sync. A, a and when that song came out, the perception of the band left our control, which at the time was really frustrating it was awesome because we were playing these enormous venues and stuff like that but we were going from playing theaters with uh we felt like our peers you know like mm-hmm. teens and 20s and and these real energetica shows and stuff like that and then we now we're playing amphitheaters with a bunch of you know teenage younger teenage kids and their parents you know um so one side of it was really cool and we were uh, exposed to a lot of um a new audience but at the same time now people were saying, Oh, that's this band. And we're like, no, we're still this band. And it was a little bit of a struggle for a while, but I think, um, you know, I wouldn't go back in time and, and, and take it away. I think at the time you, it, it's difficult to kind of let go of the control of the perception of your band, you know, cause you, it's your baby so much. And then at some point people start saying, Oh, this band is X, Y, Z. And you're like, dude, that's not us, but you can't blame them for saying that. I'm all, this is all we see you as, you know, we don't know the backstory. We don't know all the other music. Um, And the time
0: and the effort that you'd put in and playing super small clubs at times to no one there and building it up and getting the following in Southern California and really just super hard workers with a rock backbone.
1: Yes. We had always had, you know, um, 10 or 11 heavy songs and a song that was kind of ballady or maybe just softer. So honestly, at the time that we released the reason we all just saw it as that song. Like it's an album track. It's like the softer side of who was thinking, you know? Yeah. Didn't think it was going to actually end up defining the band 20, 20 years later.
0: Do you love the video when you look back at it now? Because I've watched it a lot over the last couple of years and you have, I, you and I have texted over the last year quite a bit and I've really appreciated that. I think it's a good video. What do you think?
1: I'm glad we did what we did. Um, I remember at the time uh, being on the road and going back and forth with the creative heads at the, uh, the record label said, no, we want to do this. And here's some treatments, you know, they sent out a bunch of treatments and it's like, they're all like, you know, guy sees girl guy standing outside window. (laughs) It's all, it's very, it's right on the nose. It's too much, you know? And I would go back with like, I don't want to do any of that. I want to do, I want to do like a bank robbery, like something and, and violent, but not too violent. And just, just completely not what you would think to come out of the, um, with that song. And that was a little bit of my kickback against, how big it was getting like, fuck that. I don't want to, I don't want to feed into that perception. Oh, it's a love la la. I want it to be right. something different. Yes. Um, so there was a lot of back and forth and, and what we got was the best middle ground we could agree to. Cause I still wanted basically like the, the scene in the matrix when they're going to save Morpheus <laughs> yes. and it's like the downstairs and they're <laughs> That's basically what I wanted to do something like that. That has no, and no cohesive storyline at all. Just, just chaos. So, but, but looking back, I am glad it's definitely not like boy meets girl, girl breaks boy's heart, boy says, you know, like it's too, it's too cliche.
0: Were you and Dan friends for a long time before you started the band? Cause I don't remember how you two came together to begin the project.
1: We, um, we met in high school. Yeah. I was a junior, maybe he was a sophomore. We met in like auto shop class. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he always says, yeah, he always says that he walked by and he saw that I had like a Diodario guitar string sticker on my folder and thought to himself, like, oh, dude, that guy plays guitar too. Like, cause he already played guitar. We eventually would be in two different bands in the same high school and then play against each other in battle the bands <laughs> at Agora High School. And then after that, those bands kind of just, you know, Kids went off to college and stuff like that. Right. And we were probably the most serious and dedicated to not going to college. <laughs> and so we, uh, yeah, we started writing and most of it was just for fun. Just like stupid joke songs. And we'd record um, everything in my parents' garage on a, on a Tascam four track. You know, like I play the drums on one song and he played the drums. And then we'd like wow. switch singing. And 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 then we would run off and show our friends these dumb, dumb songs, you know, like it was just, it wasn't dumb as in like, oh, they tried to make it serious and it's bad. No, they, we tried to make it as stupid (laughs) as possible. Um, and they were terrible and really funny. He had always kind of known that he wanted to do music. I kind of fell into it. I mean, I loved music, but I always thought music was for like Eddie Van Halen and, um, you know, just these guys that were virtuosos. And I was like, I don't have the discipline. I don't have the the talent for that. But, but Dan kind of brought in like, well, you can just write songs, you know, you can you can write these songs? And, and then, you know, couple that with Nirvana and and uh, everything that was happening uh, in the early nineties. And I started to go, fuck yeah. I, you know what? Like I could write songs like this and um I don't have to absolutely shred, which mm-hmm. I don't still mm-hmm. 20 years later. And that's kind of how it, how it happened. But it was a few years before. I mean, dude, that's like early nineties. We started playing as Hoopastank though. And uh, with a different spelling in 95,
0: 95. Oh, yeah. that's earlier than I, re- wow. Yeah.
1: We, we started playing like our first show was at the, uh, club show was at the Roxy. Okay. Yeah. Like in 95, probably fall of 95. And then we played everywhere we could for as many times as we could until we got turned down by everybody in 99. Hold
0: on one sec. Hold yeah. on, hold on. Cause I have a question for sure. That. The shows in 95 to 99, How long did it take before people showed up that weren't your family and friends?
1: I would say maybe a couple years. Okay. Yeah. So it's a couple years of just dragging your family and friends as many times (laughs) as you can possibly get them out there. Um, And, you know, word, word spread. And we would play with our, our friends, fans, you know, and um, anywhere and anytime, as many times as possible. That's it.
0: Getting turned down by the labels. Was that you sending in a cassette or were they actually coming to see you because they heard about you and then said, ah, no, thank
1: you. No, in 99, we had a manager and we got some kind of demo deal. I'm not sure exactly what, uh, which label. So they said, go record some new music. Let's have it. If we love it, we'll sign you. It's ours. Blah, blah, blah. If we don't like it, you can keep it and go shop it around. Um, so we recorded some really shitty songs that we <laughs> thought were good or uh, good at the time. The, the people who had given us the demo deal said, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. And then everybody else said, thanks, but no thanks. So yeah, it was like, it was the, 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 cliche crossroads moment, you know, like, okay, I've been doing this for four, you know, five years. What do I do now? Like if we didn't get a deal as Hoobastank, like it's gotta be before we were turned down, it's gotta be nearly impossible to come back again. Like, Hey, we're the guys you said no to already. But we, um, we fired our manager. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. But we kind of I think we at the time, we kind of got caught up in the, um, in the business aspect of it all. And um, we kind of went back to just doing everything on, on our own. And we stopped submitting things. We were just playing shows and writing new music. And within about nine months of that, just going, you know what? Forget it. We're not asking people to come to our shows. We're just going to do our thing. Um, within about nine months, we had a couple offers on our own. Sweet. So. Sweet, good for you. Yeah, how are you us. gonna
0: celebrate the 20-year anniversary of the reason? Is there anything planned in particular? Any shows front to back of the album? Anything um, like
1: that? W- a few years ago, we were going. We were doing the 15th anniversary. Yo, you know. But a lot of things happened. Uh, a fire rolled through our neighborhood, almost wiped out multiple. You know, almost took out my house. Almost took out Dan's house. Things got canceled. We had a tour set for that time, but we never really. Got to fully do it. There was just too many, too many moving parts going on, and, and things that were unexpected. Uh, we did some shows in Europe like that, um, so I'm sure at some point we're gonna go. Let's let's do it proper. Yeah, you, know, you gotta do it's that. It's five man. years later, but we're gonna do it proper. And I'm lighting
0: um, the fire. No, but sorry, I'm I'm want you to do it. This is me. I, like I would, I would like to. Yeah, here. I
1: would. La- We've or- like I said, we already did it in Europe, and it was fun to play that album yeah. from front to back a few years ago. But it, we never got to really do it out here. We'll do it. I know we're gonna release some um, unheard tracks from that were recorded at the same time as that, uh, we have a bunch of videos and other things we're trying to throw together. I'm trying to write, uh, I've been trying to write something new that we can put out as well.
0: Last two things, then we'll get you out of here. Okay. You have kids at the age where they really can understand and see what you're doing and they're coming to shows and maybe even one of your kids is 20 feet away watching this go down. How exciting or nerve wracking is that aspect of it all? Cause I compare it to like a pro athlete when their kids become the age where they, you know, they go to the baseball game and watch right. their dad play ball.
1: <clears throat> They've only been to a handful of shows. I have my daughter here who's 12 and I have a son who's nine. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took my son to Tampa. We had a show at like a food and wine festival or something like that. Uh, so, so to, to balance it out, I said, okay, Maggie, you can come to Vegas. It's better show anyways. It's going to be all these <laughs> cool bands. I think to be honest with you, it, it has a, the opposite effect on me. Like when I, if I get in my head too much and I look over and I see my kid like smiling or something like that, it actually takes me back home. Like it kind of grounds me and I go, Oh, this is, dude, you're, you're just up here having fun. Like there's, Correct. there's nothing, there's nothing to be nervous about or freaked out about. Yeah. So it has the opposite effect on me. It actually calms me down. It doesn't get me like, I know with some, with some parents, <laughs> like when their parents, <laughs> a buddy of mine, I was, I was golfing with a buddy of mine the other day and his son and his and his wife drive by. They were actually right, and they're like, "Hey, Dad, and I'm like, "Hey, you guys got to stop. watch watch what? watch, watch him swing the, watch him swing the club, you know and um and he's like, "Oh, dude, why'd you say that? Why'd you say that like that?" And he took three swings and just just missed the ball twice. it was It was really embarrassing. So I, I understand the phenomenon, But yeah. for me, it works the other way around. It actually gets me like to calm down.
0: I've known your dad for a long time. He's super cool now. He was super cool then. And by the way, always an a plus person. And uh, and very very generous and giving, a. so a plus. Huba Likewise, Stryker. Thanks. Seriously. Thank you. I it's appreciate that. It's been that. a long time. I know it's been a long. time. I have time. some
1: strange photos of me, you, and Dan. I think I might have sent you. Those. <laughs> <laughs> Are we laying down spooning? Yeah, I think it was at the weenie roast. We're like spooning each other, like being stupid, whatever. And I'm wearing a dumb tank top in that picture. And I think yeah, we're that all was, wearing something stupid was... and, and uh, you know early 2000s. Why isn't why everybody should we be wearing that today? Like, it's basically 2002 it to five is. It's at one the show. Di- it, right, right. Right. Everybody should have, like, white Guy Fieri, <laughs> you know, s- sunglasses on. And and I should have, like, whatever. It's all coming back anyways. All that style. It's all coming back.
0: I really appreciate that you swung by Tune on Toast. And I hope you have the best time at Sick New World today.
1: Me too. Thank Th- you. Thanks thank for having
0: you, me. Thank you for all the great music and fun times over the years. Thanks, Stryker. Of course. You got it. That is Doug Robb from Hoobastank. Thanks again for watching another episode of Tuna on Toast as we are on the road in Vegas at Blue Wire Studios. I'm Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye.
1: That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. (laughs) Maybe.